3: Good morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Cantanier with David Faber and Morgan Brennan. This may look familiar based on the Omicron spread. We're trying to be cautious. We're live from separate desks doing our best to keep our staff safe. Kramer has the morning off. Futures are red as this brutal week for tech shares looks set to continue at the open 10-year 1-4. Our roadmap begins with the rate rise fears hitting tech, as you know, poised for more losses at the open as investors weigh ongoing challenges from Omicron and inflation.
0: Plus, shares of EV maker Rivian are tumbling ahead of the open. The company did cut production expectations due in part to supply chain issues.
1: And speaking of supply chain, FedEx shares getting a boost. The delivery giant reinstating its original fiscal 2022 forecast. We're going to dig into those results, Carl.
3: Guys, you know, uh, I was uh, thinking earlier in the week, the uh, front page of the Daily News here in New York City, David, was here we go again. And it sort of feels like that, doesn't it? You watch, we talk about protocols changing all the time and sometimes it happens at your own uh, place of work.
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, it's not something unfortunately that we're unfamiliar with in terms of making quick decisions and uh, trying, to, trying to mitigate risk. Uh, but listen, this thing is spreading very quickly. We all know that. Uh, the questions still are, and we have so many of them, uh, Carl and Morgan, in terms of, you know, as it potentially kind of moves very quickly Uh, and infects a lot of people, what will truly be, you know, hospitalization rate? We have heard anecdotally that the Omicron variant is uh, milder. We know many people with uh, full vaccination with three shots likely to have very few serious symptoms and certainly not end up in the hospital. But the concern I hear, Carl, is that, yeah, but the sheer numbers uh, could be so large That even though the denominator as a percentage is extraordinarily small, the overall number could still be fairly significant. And so we are going to once again be revisiting some of those concerns and we'll see how people react and businesses react at this point. But obviously we are also doing uh, our part here to sort of react to things as they occur without, obviously, as much data and information as we'd like, which I feel like we've said all along (laughs) And as well, of course, out of, yes, an abundance of caution. Uh,
3: Meanwhile, uh, guys, we're trying to look at the best analogs we have in this fast moving environment. South Africa, of course, is one of them, which Dr. Gottlieb talked about this morning, where, in fact, uh, ventilated patients are, are, are the number is coming down. Number of oxygenated patients coming down. Number of those in ICU coming down and deaths coming down. But of course, there are differences in the demographics between South Africa, pretty young nation uh, versus the United States. But to David's point, Dr. Gottlieb on Squawk this morning did say that maybe this, wa- this wave won't be a wave that's measured in months, but perhaps in weeks. Here's what he said.
4: This variant is going to move much more quickly through the country than Delta did. So people who are waiting to get a booster to afford themselves a measure of protection against this variant, time is running out to do that. I mean, if you live in the tri-state region, hopefully you have an appointment to get that booster shot already if you haven't gotten it. In other parts of the country, people should be seeking appointments right now. Those appointments are going to fill up. Demand is going to surge, which it already is doing. And the best way to protect yourself from this variant is, is a booster shot.
3: Uh, Yeah, called it a short lived endeavor, uh, Morgan. Uh, But there have been reports that uh, appointments for boosters at, say, Walgreens now looking to last maybe two weeks out. So it's definitely time to get that appointment if you haven't gotten it already.
1: Yeah, that's right. I saw that headline, too, that Walgreens is saying it's seeing record levels of vaccine and booster demand. I'll tell you, in certain parts of the country, at least here in the New York metro area, it's pretty hard to get a COVID test right now, too. I mean, we're a week out from Christmas Eve, so perhaps not surprisingly, um, A, just because case count. Numbers do seem to be going up in this area of the country, the eastern U.S., but also, of course, people getting on planes and traveling to see their loved ones, etc. Also worth noting, you got J&J falling because the CDC is recommending Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines over J&Js because of that rate of rare but serious blood clotting condition that is actually higher than was previously detected. And Novavax 2 dose coronavirus vaccine uh, looks like it could be approved as early as next week by the European Medicines Agency as well. Uh, so that might be going into the system on a global basis, not necessarily here in the U.S., just speaking to the global push uh, to vaccinate as well. The stocks are higher This week, It's been a pretty down week for the major averages, guys. But I mean, Pfizer's having its best week since October of 1974. It's up 16 percent. Veer Biotech, Novavax, as I mentioned before, Eli Lilly, Bristol Myers, BioNTech, Moderna. We've seen a rally. Uh, You don't necessarily want to see a rally in these names because of what we're talking about with coronavirus and this latest iteration of the virus. But in terms of market outperformance, that's where you're seeing it.
3: Uh, indeed, uh, along with utilities and a lot of the safety names, uh, the Cloroxes of yeah. the world, which yep. uh, David sort of the more talk defensive about, sectors. Yeah, talk about deja vu—the uh, days where none of us worked together on a daily basis—and we saw names like Kellogg uh, and Clorox soar all the time. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of the pain from uh, that's been felt in the Nasdaq this week has come as a result of fears of higher rates. But the ten-year below one four today. Uh, And what the two years done, what inflation expectations have done sort of make you wonder whether or not we are truly headed in
0: that direction. It's a good point, Carl. And, you know, we have been watching that growth value trade all week. Obviously, we had the Fed a couple of days ago. Uh, We know at least what to expect for next year. We'll see whether we really get three potential rate hikes in the course of 2022. But we've also been following uh, not just the 10-year note, but the Nasdaq comp in particular. So many of the higher value tech names have been hit. They had a bit of a brief rally there right after the Fed. But overall, it has not been pretty, as you can see, for the course of the week, let's call it. And that will continue, it looks like, at least when we start trading 23 minutes or so from now. Uh, The Nasdaq beta was Mm -hmm. underperforming the Russell by about 90 basis points. There has been a lot of what they call degrossing, you know, investors taking down risk overall, certainly hedge funds. Uh, and the like but we'll have to see where things play out one other point for me you know I've talked a good deal this year about hedge fund underperformance and the only real outperformance so many of these hedge funds have gotten is from their ownership of uh, privates what we call private private investments some of them like Arrivian, which we'll talk about shortly obviously had gone have gone public during the course of the year helping greatly but at the end of the year with this decline in so many of these growth names when you have to mark your private investments to their least peers in the public markets, that can have an impact as well. So something else to keep in mind. Again, I pointed out many times the overall underperformance of hedge funds in terms of picking public equities bailed out to some extent by their private investments. But given that decline, Carl, in the names that we're seeing, the high growth multiple names, it may be hitting as well some of the privates also, because you do need to mark them to something. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, and Morgan, uh, we can't wait to talk more about FedEx, um, your interview yesterday, and the degree to which maybe the labor shortage hopefully subsides in maybe the second half of uh, next year.
1: Um, That is the hope and the expectation at FedEx, I will tell you, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth as the hour goes on. But the company logging another $470 million in additional costs year on year, largely in ground and largely because of the later shortages. Uh, that it has faced and having to increase pay, increase benefits, increase some of the incentives to get those workers in, which of course is such a big story, while simultaneously, I might add, because I have a feeling this is going to be a big, bigger theme, theme in 2022 across a number of industries, while simultaneously making those capital expenditures and investments in new technologies, like, for example, automation, which is something we heard from FedEx yesterday, but it's something we've heard from a number of restaurants. Companies that have come on and and spoken to us in recent weeks and recent months uh, and other industries as well as we do see this bigger, broader business spending cycle taking root. I would just also note that despite the fact that it was a down day for the major averages, we did see eight of the S&P 500's 11 sectors actually notch gains, which does speak to that outsized impact of those mega cap tech names, um, which we've been talking about. Also, the fact that you have seen central bank divergence in terms of monetary policy and what that stimulus scenario is going to look like, too, which seems to be adding a push-pull to the market narrative as well. David.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Morgan, let's get to one of those big uh, growth names. At least it certainly was in terms of after its uh, debut as a, a public uh, uh, company. Shares of Rivian, though, are down sharply in the pre-market this after the EV maker's first quarterly report since it went public last month. And Phil Lebeau joins us now with uh, some of the gory details. Phil. Hey,
4: David, good news, bad news in this report. Look, there was no surprise in here. Nothing that made people say, what? What's happening? It was more a case of, yeah, not surprised to hear about this. As you take a look at shares of Rivian, yes, the stock dropped after the call started uh, or after the report came out yesterday, in part because they are facing production and supply chain challenges. Let's talk first about that and then some of the optimistic news that came out yesterday. With regard to the production and supply chain, Uh, They said on the call that they are going to be a couple of hundred vehicles shy of reaching the target for fourth quarter production of 1,200 vehicles, going to push that out into 2022. Why? Because they're having problems ramping up production, ramping up the supply chain. They're also going to be carrying greater inventory, at least near term. That is not widely unexpected. It is a negative, but it's not one that analysts are saying, oh, we, we never saw this coming. On the positive side, when you take a look at uh, orders and demand for the pickup truck, which is the R1T or the upcoming electric SUV, the R1 Ace, R1S, those orders climbed up to 71,000. It was 48,000 back on September 30th. Here is CEO RJ Scaringe talking about demand for these trucks and this SUV.
2: As awareness continues to go up, uh, that will lead to a continued increase in pre-order demand. And to some of the earlier questions, it it certainly has us focused on how do we make sure we we continue to ramp production and, as we talked about, look for opportunities to pull ahead uh, on our volume ramp.
4: Take a look at shares of Rivian going all the way back to the IPO. Remember, the price, I believe it was $72 a share, so now under $100. One other note from yesterday, the company announced, Morgan, that it will be building a second final assembly plant. This one will be east of Atlanta. They're going to start building it. It'll be up and running in 2024. Capacity, 400,000 vehicles. So you take that plant along with the plant that they already have in central Illinois. They're going to have 600,000 in capacity by 2024, or at least that's the target at this point, which is substantial. And don't be surprised if it grows beyond that.
1: Yeah, and it's, subsan- it's substantial. It's going to take some su- substantial money as well, because that's going to be a multi-billion-dollar investment. So given that, and I realize this is a company that raised a lot of money, both on the private market and through the right. IPO process, is it going to have enough cash on hand over the next four years oh, yeah. to pull all of this off?
4: Well, they've got enough cash on hand right now. That's a $5 billion investment <laughs> yeah. uh, for the plant east of Atlanta. I, I don't think anybody's worried about their cash position and their ability. If they need to go to the capital markets and, and raise more money, they can certainly do that. Look, when you listen in to the analyst call yesterday, when you read the analyst notes, while the stock is down 10 percent, it, this was largely fairly positive in terms of the analyst commentary. They, had, they said, look, everybody's having supply chain problems here, and you're ramping up from zero. So you should expect some of this. Um, so I know the stock looks like it's, it's, it's cratering, um, but the commentary and the tone of the analyst notes, not nearly as negative.
3: Mm. Phil, appreciate that. Uh, what a story from last night. We'll talk a lot more about it today. That's our Phil Boat talking some Rivian uh, from last night. In the meantime, take a look at the pre-market. Uh, relative weakness here on what's been a uh, pretty tough road, especially for uh, the mega cap tech names. Uh, we'll have a lot of more stories on Oracle, AMC, FedEx, GM, Biogen, plus a boatload of uh, analyst calls today. More squawk on the street from, uh, from a variety of locations is straight ahead.
1: Welcome back to Squawk in the Street. Shares of FedEx are up sharply this morning, about 6.5% pre-market. Company posting better than expected quarterly results, both in the top and bottom lines. Also re-raised its guidance for the full fiscal year, authorized a new $5 billion share buyback program. Yesterday on Closing Bell, I spoke with FedEx president and COO Raj Submaraniam, and here's what he said about the company's challenges and the road ahead.
2: We had roughly uh, 470 million dollars of headwind uh, in the in this quarter. Roughly before that, that's what we expected. Uh, we don't expect that to continue in the in the second half, if that's what you're asking. Uh, and we also feel, because of the, the value proposition and the demand that we have in the marketplace, that you know we were able to improve our operating profit and operating margins in the second half.
1: Uh, So FedEx has had labor shortage issues. Its workforce is not as unionized as its chief rival, uh, UPS, where they've seen a little more stability because of that unionized workforce. It has been looking to bring in 90,000 workers is what it was aiming for just for the peak shipping season that we are currently in. Submarinium saying that it recently fielded 111,000 applications in one week for hourly positions. That's higher than any week in its history. And to just put that in perspective, it had been more like 50,000 per week back in May. So they are seeing those workers come off the sidelines. I asked him what he attributed that to. He says higher pay, more flexible hours, more benefits, more incentives to basically bring those workers in and and apply for these jobs. Because of that, they are well-staffed for this key crew, peak season that we're in the middle of. FedEx had earlier forecasted that they were going to see a 10 percent increase in peak season volumes between Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, versus the pandemic 2020 peak season. Uh, I asked if he's on track for that. He said it's still a little too early to tell, um, but that the week of Cyber Week, they did see 100 million packages moving through the system. Um, Carl, this is really one of those companies that, because they touch so many different types of goods across so many different markets, Throughout the world, they really have um, an economic lens on how things are moving, what's moving, why it's moving. Um, In terms of the Omicron variant and the impact of coronavirus, it's one of these companies that, given the fact that it's been essential work, basically has that playbook in place. Um, But we're going to have to see how that plays out. I don't think they expect full air capacity to return Um, It's going to be constrained through calendar year 2022. They don't expect a full recovery uh, until at least 2024. And, of course, a lot of this depends on what we see with Omicron and some of the lockdowns that are taking place in different parts of the world right now.
3: I thought it was fascinating uh, operating margin above seven. We were looking for somewhere in the mid-sixes. But I thought the most interesting part of your discussion last night was their uh, strategy of doubling down on e-commerce, really going back several years, Morgan, and the projections of the numbers of deliveries that they have going into 2026, uh, it's gonna be an amazing difference from the amazing numbers we have now.
1: Yeah, and of course this is a this is a key for investors, especially in that ground unit which handles so much of that e-commerce volume. I mean, submarinium saying yesterday to me that in 2016 the industry had 50 million parcels per day. By 2026, to your point, uh, expecting 130 million. So this has been a secular growth story. Some of that demand has been pulled forward by the pandemic. And I did ask what that means for an evolving competitive landscape, given the fact that FedEx did cut ties Um, at least on some contracts with Amazon. UPS has picked up some of that market share, but largely we've seen Amazon just plow billions and billions of dollars into building out its own transportation network so quickly, so aggressively to become sort of one of those key delivery giants in its own right. And he basically said there's more demand um, than any one player can handle. Uh, And so I think the point being there that they'll be continuing to pick up some of that business from Amazon rivals, because e-commerce is just the way of the future for retail in general. Uh,
3: It doesn't take uh, much to to realize that in in your own life, that's for sure. Guys, still to come this morning, Steve Case is going to join us in the next hour. A lot to talk about on the tech front as we go into 2022. Take a look at futures here on this uh, Friday morning. Uh, Relative weakness in tech once again, as Squawk on the Street continues in a couple of minutes.
2: Every day.
3: Adobe topping the list of this week's worst performers on the S&P. You'll recall the revenue guidance yesterday for next year, 17.9 billion. Street was looking for 18.2. Uh, but with that, uh, a 14% decline for the week on ADBE. We're going to get the opening bell in just under seven minutes. Don't go anywhere. As it related to our 2022 targets, the underlying business is still as healthy as it's been. I guess when you're a 15 billion dollar company, the one thing that perhaps people didn't quite understand was how foreign exchange uh, is moving against us. But the underlying business is still extremely strong. That's Adobe Shantanu Ryan with Kramer last night on Mad Money after the company's guidance uh, did disappoint the street, David. Interesting to hear him sort of try to put that uh, revenue guide, which was not a, on a numerical basis, dramatic by any means, in some kind of perspective.
0: Yeah, uh, and obviously Jim was uh, defending uh, quite strongly in terms of the long-term outlook for the company. But there's no doubt, listen, in this environment in particular right now, Carl, where any number of of, uh, growth companies have been getting penalized even without uh, poor guidance or a quarter that wasn't particularly well received, you might imagine that the stock would get hit, and it has, and as you can see in terms of the performance. Go back, though, uh, and that does give you a sense to the terms of the value creation that Mr. Narayan has overseen. Uh, at Adobe. It's been nothing short of spectacular over that period of time. Uh, And again, uh, just to talk about Jim, of course, his expectations are that we'll get back on track, but maybe it'll take a bit of time. Yeah.
3: Uh, The other name uh, that kind of got dinged earlier in the week and yesterday, Morgan, was a firm as the Consumer Financial Protection Board. Uh, looks like they're going to try to get some more clarity on how data is used uh, in the buy now, pay later space.
1: Yeah, that's right. A firm got dinged. That's also putting focus on names like Klarna and Afterpay, which is getting acquired by Block, which has had its own drama this week with its own lawsuit situation with h and Block. But um, basically, the regulators looking to examine concerns on the kind of role that these plans are playing in consumers' debt and how these companies are using consumer data. Um, some interesting stats coming out of this, too, that 53 million adults in the U.S. actually lack traditional credit yeah. scores. That's according to um And so these installment plans have, we've certainly seen them pick up steam. Investors have been very focused on them, even as we've seen other payment stocks really take a hit in recent months um, as well. But all of these companies basically saying that they're welcoming the review, um, they're welcoming the possibility of regulation and better understanding of what they do, while the banks simultaneously uh, say that they would like to see a more leving, level playing field moving forward as well. So you're seeing that shake out here. Firm is down 35 almost 4% pre-market, but of course it's been a major high flyer in recent months as well.
3: Yeah, there is. You know, um, if Jim were here, David, we might have a discussion about how much uh, certain investors uh, want and sort of expect a year end Santa Claus rally. Just given historical seasonality, last 10 sessions of the year are generally pretty good. Uh, But also, uh, despite that hope, trying to come to grips with the amount of monetary and fiscal tightening that you're going to see year on year in 2022. And, and how that degrossing that you mentioned earlier is a result of investors trying to position ahead of that.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, there are a lot of cross-currents right now, and you're right mm. to, to note them, Carl. Uh, although, again, back to the point you made at the top of the show, take a look at the 10-year. I mean, we're below 1.4% 1, 1. Uh, on the 10-year again, uh, which is perhaps somewhat surprising, given what we heard from the Fed uh, this week. Uh, but, yeah, layer on the Fed uh, on top of where we are right now with the virus... Uh, and it does create, you know, a lot of uncertainty uh, at this moment, and therefore perhaps uh, a li- little less direction than some investors might like. Now, yeah. let's
3: see how Brett fills in here this morning. Get the opening bell, CNBC Real Time Exchange at the big board. It is Vertical Aerospace celebrating its listing via SPAC. We're going to talk to the CEO in a little over an hour. At the Nasdaq, it's New York Cares marking its 33rd annual coat drive. Uh, Speaking of uh, guidance for next year, guys, uh, getting some headlines out of Pfizer this morning. Sort of an update, David, on the number on vac sales expected in 2022. Now $31 billion, uh, as uh, we have seen more and more evidence that points to, at least if you listen to the CDC, uh, the advantages of mRNA technology over, say, J&J.
0: Yeah, uh, listen, uh, you know, we have been uh, talking about, of course, uh, the the incredible uh, amount of revenue that Pfizer is. Uh, getting, obviously, uh, BioNTech also a beneficiary of their success uh, with the vaccines. Uh, and it was only, what was it, earlier this week? I think it was Monday when they announced that uh, another deal, remember, uh, Carl, to acquire a small, relatively small, although it wasn't a, a small deal. It was over $6 billion, if memory serves, uh, to acquire a, um, a biotech company. But they're starting to put some of the um, profits, so to speak, from their great success in vaccines to work to try to address what will be sort of a patent cliff. And by the way, this is, broadly speaking, let's call it 2028 for many different companies out there. Some of the big drugs that that have been the biggest revenue producers for the industry will be coming off. And so you do want to start to replenish with science, which things that are in perhaps phase two or even phase three to see what you can do in terms of generating future billion dollar plus. But Carl, it would seem and Morgan, it would seem that Pfizer's not going to have any uh, any problem um, in terms of demand for its vaccine, not to mention the antiviral, which we're still waiting for FDA approval on both Pfizer's and Merck's. And it would seem as though FDA that it's pretty good time to want to actually approve these. One would think, given how many cases Mm. conceivably are coming our way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. It does feel like it's another leg on the stool and perhaps one that hasn't uh, received quite as much, at least, I mean, we've been reporting on it and David, I know you've been all over it, uh, especially where, where some of these oral antivirals are concerned, um, but it, doesn't, it, it It has not necessarily moved, seemed to have moved as quickly Through the regulatory process as, say, some of the vaccines and some of the gathering of data and what that's looked like as well. Um, One would imagine that that maybe starts to pick up some steam here in the midst of Omicron. I'd also just note, just looking at the major averages where everything but the transports is lower again today. We're lower on the week. Um, we're lower over the past month now for the major averages, but the transports is outperforming. It's up about four tenths of one percent, uh, and the reason we mentioned it earlier in the show really is FedEx, which is up seven and a half percent. Also, UPS trading higher in sympathy in terms of what's doing well in the S&P. Real estate is the sole sector that is in the green this morning, again, speaking to, as we were talking about earlier, guys, the more defensive tone we have seen uh, in this market in the last couple of days, as you've seen things like real estate, utilities, um, uh, consumer staples reaching record highs despite the broader downdraft.
3: You know, David, you mentioned uh, Pfizer and M&A. Uh, yep. Are we going to do Oracle today and these reports on Cerner?
0: Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I mean, mm. I, unfortunately, I don't have a great deal to add to the Wall Street Journal's reporting other than to confirm that, in fact, I did speak to one person familiar with the situation who indicated the two companies are talking. Um, you know, in, in a situation like this, you might anticipate they'd want to get something announced prior to the beginning of the holiday. Uh, so let's call it middle of next week before people's attention is elsewhere. Um, and if you don't, then maybe you push it. Um, but, you know, it's funny, and then talking to a number of people who were not aware of it per se, but had been doing things like tracking Oracle's airplane and noticed it had been in Kansas City, Missouri <laughs> lately for the first time in ages, or at insiders at, that insiders at Cerner had not sold stock, or that the CFO who lives in New York never actually put his apartment up on the market uh, to move to Kansas City. By the way, new CEO here is what kept people, a lot of people, thinking, nah. You know, Cerner's probably not going to sell. The, 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 the new CEO just took over. Uh, and that typically means that you're not going to be entering into a deal to sell uh, the company. But that does appear to be the case here. We'll see if they get to the finish line. The journal reporting it could be as much as 30 billion dollars. That would indicate somewhere around 95, 96 a share. But again, they don't have details on price. I don't have details on price. We may want to get a little more or wait till we perhaps get a little more information if we can uh, get it. Uh, Looking at one uh, research note this morning, they note Cerner's organic growth rate has slowed over the last several years uh, as EHR adoption has reached full penetration in the US market. Um, They also uh, talk about the fact that at that price, again, we don't know, would be about a little less than 16 times uh, 21 EBITDA, which is now essentially a last 12 months calculation, obviously, Um, which would represent around a 20% premium, not that large a premium. So, again, Carl, um, we can't tell you they are in talks, as the Journal has already told us that, but we'll see if they get the deal done, let's call it in the next few days.
3: Interesting. Dow down uh, 270 here. Uh, We'll we'll pay attention to that, David. You know, I think one thing that's interesting, Morgan, is there is a little bit of shopping for some reopening uh, names this morning. Six Flags uh, gets upgraded over at Credit Suisse to outperform. (laughs) In this environment, they say that the pendulum has swung uh, too far the other way. It's actually the second upgrade for Six Flags this week. Goldman went to buy earlier in the week. Uh, Live Nation is green. I think that's interesting, given everything we know about Omicron right now. And then AMC. I don't know if you noticed, uh, Adam Aaron tweeting a few moments ago, the ticket sales for Spider-Man No Way Home, opening, of course, this weekend, sets the record for the highest December opening night ever and the second highest opening night of any month ever, which is going to be interesting to watch whether or not uh, this spread sort of really puts a damper on uh, movie theaters, uh, certainly restaurants and going out in general.
1: Yeah, which is something we're going to get some more insight on in the next hour as well, guys, from Rich Gelfond at IMAX as well, which is obviously uh, another company that has insights into some of those traffic patterns at movie theaters, but also has been doing things like striking deals with Disney on the streaming front as well, as we do continue to see some of those lines blur. Um, Yeah, the other thing that's getting my attention this morning, and I guess this news crossed last night, just to go back to uh, another trend we've been talking about in this hour uh, is – The labor situation. So, we talked about it with FedEx earlier, but now the fact that you have Kellogg and that union reaching a tentative new agreement that will have to be voted on um, after workers have been striking more than two months um, for a better pay and enhanced benefits package. It affects about 1,400 workers uh, for some of the the cereals, the cereal division of Kellogg, but it does speak to this labor environment out there and what that means for companies as we go to 2022 and we do continue to be or investors continue to be so focused um on margins and we do have that talk amid the fed and other central banks this week around this idea of um a, a wage price spiral david
0: yeah um morgan on my uh m a uh, focus this morning i did in addition to oracle cerner did want to uh uh, quickly hit bottom line, bottom line technology symbol. There's ePay. It's up 15 percent. Tomo Bravo buying the company, 57 bucks a share uh, in cash. You can see uh, where that is uh, worth mentioning. Of course, we've had uh, uh, them on occasionally. Uh, Orlando Bravo's joined us, but uh, Tomo Bravo has been so active this year, um, dominating to a certain extent, uh, you know, tech private go private uh, technology deals um, in that range sort of let's call it anywhere from two to as much as what seven on the stamps.com deal was a fairly large one but they continue to be very active at this point they say the um, what are they calling it a premium of about 41 percent to the 30 day volume weighted average price uh, this company I should mention because sometimes we don't get to actually what they do um, makes complex business payments simple smart and secure corporations and banks rely on bottom line for domestic and international payments, efficient cash management, automated workflows for payment. But you can see there, it's been quite a year, Carl, for that private equity firm. Some wondering whether they're trying to take advantage of sort of a absence in the market of a key competitor or to, to sort of wrap up a lot of deals uh, and, you know, We'll see what comes next uh, in 2022 for this firm.
3: Interesting. I want some of the other movers of the morning. Uh, Darden's going to get some attention. Uh, CEO Gene Lee is going to retire in May, is going to be succeeded by the COO. Uh, They actually do raise their guidance, guys, on revenue, EPS, and comps. And as for the quarter itself, 148 beats 144. Um, Interesting setup here, Morgan. I know you know the restaurant industry very well. Fast casual has really been able to adapt in a post-COVID era uh, to more delivery as Dine-In has sort of taken it on the chin. uh, But also Ridden uh, has also rode uh, the wave back uh, to more in-person dining. And it'll be interesting to see how they sort of strategize that over the longer term. But DRI definitely a focus today.
1: Definitely focused today. This is a CEO that I think has been very well received and performed uh, very well from a market standpoint. So perhaps not surprising to see the stock under pressure, despite the fact that it did have those strong comps. Um, Again, this goes back to something we've been talking about, right? And that's sort of like the, the merging of, Um, E-commerce and retail, we are talking about that where packages and shopping are concerned. But you see that here with restaurants as well, to your point, around delivery, around some companies that have been setting up ghost kitchens uh, versus trying to bring some of those folks back into their actual stores. And then, of course, the increasing role that automation and some of these new technologies are going to play as well to continue to streamline that process, especially as you do have companies like, and I think of Denny's that was on with us not that long ago, um, you know, really, moving to make sure they have enough workers so they can keep those businesses, those restaurants uh, open for a, as long as they actually want, David. But this continues to be a focus. Um, and perhaps interesting that both of the MA stories or reports that you gave us this morning um, speak to where some of, some of the most aggressive deals have been. It's been around technology, whether in the case of these deals this morning, it's fintech or even the blurring of lines with healthcare, but some of these industries where technology can perhaps continue to do more with less in the midst of labor shortages.
0: Yeah. And again, to your point, we will see if, uh, you know how quickly this wave comes and goes uh, and what impact at all it's going to have in terms of the overall economy uh, at this point, Carl, in terms of keeping either people home and or continuing to, uh, to sort of pressure the labor market. But it does. uh, You know, we should we should come back to it, of course, as we watch the broader markets. Let's call it down one percent. Carl, I can't tell you how many people keep watching those uh, numbers out of South Africa. You know, you know, you get reams of data, although it's a lot of it is 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 delayed at least a day or two and things move so quickly. We are still waiting as well to see sort of UK and uh, Denmark data there, given Omicron seemed to hit a bit earlier than it has here. What hospitalization rates will be, because a lot of that will help inform people in terms of what decisions, if any, they want to make, as I can just tell you, I'm sure you're hearing it as well, so many people do seem to be uh, testing positive. It yep. doesn't mean that they're sick, but they're testing positive all over the place, and that is obviously keeping them from, uh, from going out and doing stuff, at least for a period sure. of time, given the current CDC guidelines.
3: Yeah, uh, that headline right there uh, about South Africa that David mentions basically uh, points out that hospitalization compared to the prior wave is down about 90%. Uh, So it's a much uh, lower hospitalization rate. But, David, the counter to that is that Uh, It's a very young demographic in South Africa, unlike uh, countries that are more developed like uh, the U.K. and the U.S. Uh, There's also uh, some notion that perhaps they had a high level of prior infection. If you look at some of the wastewater data in South Africa, maybe that offered them some protection as Omicron came along. But there's no question, to your point, that uh, that Omicron and uh, actually uh, Pantheon Macro did some good stuff on this yesterday, Ian Shepardson. There's going to be a hit to activity in Q4, even if you look at the UK and what's happened over the, next, uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah. So I think that the idea that people are going to curtail their, their activities going out is not going to come as a surprise.
0: No, uh, it shouldn't. And, uh, you know, yeah. again, we're, I mean, I, and we all hear different things from different experts. We can't at this point know how many cases we're going to be seeing, but the numbers could be fairly eye-opening or, eye, you know, uh, quite high. And again, it could be many of those are asymptomatic. And don't result, thankfully, in hospitalizations of any significance. But when you get to a number that's going to be in the well into the many hundreds of thousands, the question continues to be, Morgan, well, will the overall number still be uh, one that we need to do something to respond to? So that's kind of what we're watching right now. But but we don't have the answers. We just got a lot of questions.
1: We don't have a lot of answers. And we're talking about this a lot from, I think, the human and also just the services side of the economy. But um, as we know, there's an inflation, a potential inflation impact from all of this, too, if you start to see some of that slowing economic growth, at least in the near term, if you start to see more lockdowns in certain parts of the world, which we're seeing some signs of some curtailed activity in certain key hubs in China right now, starting to get some of those reports, which is perhaps also why, Gold uh, rallied this week, is back above 1,800 and um, you know is having its first weekly rise into best week since mid-November. We've also seen the dollar weakening a little bit in the midst of everything that's gone on with the Fed. And you have companies like US Steel coming out, um, lowering current quarter guidance and saying that it's higher expenses, but also, I thought this was interesting, cautious customer buying patterns that are offsetting improved steel pricing, which does speak to some of these areas um, where we're seeing that uncertainty around Omicron manifest in the market that are not services related.
0: Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, coming up right here, we are going to continue to talk about the Omicron variant. This time, its impact on uh, cruise uh, lines and the stocks, of course, of those companies. But first, let's give you a quick bond report and take a look at how treasuries are faring this morning. You see it right there. We've mentioned a number of times that 10-year note uh, yield is below 1.4 percent at 1.380. We'll be right back.
3: Shares of the cruise lines, the Omicron variant posing some new challenges. Seema Modi's here with more. Hi, Seema.
6: That's right, Carl. And Carnival is set to report earnings on Monday with Omicron top of mind. The focus will naturally be on the impact on sailings, the number of cancellations and rebookings. The company had said that second half 2022 bookings were pacing up ahead of 2019 levels, is that still holding up? And return to profitability. In its last report, Carnival uh, said it expects to break even during the early part of 2022. Now that's important because the cruise lines are still sitting on billions of dollars of debt. Carnival at around 33.5 billion, Royal and Norwegian between 12 and 22 billion. Capacity also in focus. Carnival was aiming to have 55 ships. That's around 65% of its fleet back in service by end of this year. One of the concerns is that Carnival, along with the other cruise lines, are bringing back ships at a time when the variant is raising more questions about future demand. William Blair analyst pointing out that the cruise lines did experience a slowdown in bookings in August when delta cases started to rise. As a result, a lot of analysts say it's prudent we wait more clarity around the impact before getting more constructive on this base. Uh, cruise stocks among the most reactive to COVID headlines really from the start, right? They sold off on news of Omicron in late November, then rallied on December 6th when experts said that the variant was less severe. It's been a sort of a choppy ride since then. Carnival shares are down about 30 percent this quarter. Those earnings on Monday will give us an accurate read. David.
0: Uh, Sima Modi did want to uh, direct our viewers attention to shares of GM because they're uh, getting hit fairly hard right now. We did get news that uh, Dan uh, Amon, the CEO of General Motors Autonomous Vehicle Effort uh, under the Cruise LLC uh, banner, is leaving the company. Um, And it is a somewhat abrupt departure, uh, perhaps a bit of a surprise. Some had said, you know, he might in fact be a a candidate at some point to succeed current CEO Mary Barra. Um, and obviously, we all know how important electrification has, is for the strategy of this company uh, right now and into the future, not to mention as well autonomous. So, did want to uh, note that those shares are down, Carl, as much as 6%. Uh,
3: yeah, long-time, uh, longtime employee, GM, uh, former GM president. And uh, it does raise some questions, Morgan, about. Uh, because the uh, the departure is effective immediately, sort of uh, how that might alter the strategy on not just electrification but on self driving in general at a time where we're watching to see if other major players try to get in on this space and sort of a second strike and try to seek a second strike advantage.
1: That's right, and and Cruise uh, has come so far in terms of those self driving and autonomous capabilities in California, which has been its key testing ground, which Philibos has repeated quite a, uh, has reported quite a bit on. I mean, Dan Amon Dan uh, outlined, excuse me, uh, for investors, an, an ambitious target for Cruz um, back in October. And he was talking about rolling out thousands of these robot taxis in U.S. cities over the coming years. Um, he said that he saw a path for Cruz to achieve $50 billion in revenue by the end of this decade. Um, so I think sort of one of those key questions is, does this continue to move full steam ahead? Uh, in the wake of his departure gm is basically saying in a statement yes that is the game plan but as we've seen with so many of these next mo- next generation mobility capabilities um they do tend to be somewhat personality driven um look no further than rivian and what we're seeing with that stock on the heels of earnings today um or tesla of course and it it speaks to the personalities and how the market and investors react to those personalities. But we'll see what GM says uh, about this as the story continues to evolve.
3: Yeah, uh, but given uh, some of the capex, this new plant in Georgia, which the governor talked about on Squawk this morning, the other players clearly are not standing still either. Take a look at the markets this morning. On this Friday, Mm -hmm. a pronounced weakness. Dow's down almost 400, about a 1% loss. And the S&P got back to 46.16, currently down about 31 points. Don't go anywhere. Stocks look to end the week on a note that uh, rings similar to how the week began. That is a notable weakness in a lot of the growth names and names that had uh, much higher levels earlier in the year. Robinhood's a good example. Uh, David, I think uh, Deutsche cuts the target today from 32 down to 17, uh, roughly where it is right now. I know I can hear you laughing. Yes, Um, But there was a report that Kathy Wood uh, did add about six million on this dip.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, that's something. Uh, and we always, you know, we do applaud the transparency that they have at ARC in terms of we know all the things that they're doing. But, you know, you raise Robinhood, of course, 52 week high. There was 85. It didn't uh, stay there very long, as we all know, of course, having gone public. But it is also reflective of what has been very poor aftermarket performance um, for many initial public offerings this year. And I'm not just talking about the many SPACs that are trading below their $10 issuance price. There are also many Morgan uh, other names out there. Uh, that are not Rivians uh, and that have really suffered in the aftermarket and never recovered. And Robinhood certainly is uh, one of the key ones there, given it's down, as you see 53 percent over the last six months.
1: Yeah, it's been a rough year, and it goes back to a point you made earlier, David, about uh, the re-rating that perhaps potentially we're going to start to see in the private markets and what that means for 2022 as well in terms of future IPO pipeline. I mean, this was a very big year, uh, not only for SPACs, but also for traditional IPOs and to be seeing underperformance in some of these high-flying growth names like a Robinhood uh, perhaps gives some pause uh, in terms of where we see that money go, both in the private market and and how and when the trajectory is for those companies to then go public, Carl. Yeah.
3: Uh, meantime, clearly risk-off mode dows down uh, more than Almost one and a half percent this morning. Bitcoin under pressure. A lot of the growth names. S&P trying to hold 4620.
4: You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
2: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.